from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight every path. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we began to look at consecration, the uh, third leg, as it were, of our walk with God unto service, because indeed we are saved to serve. But we are not just saved and then we jump into service. We go through a process of preparation, of uh, being purged, of being purified, and then we come to a place where we are separated before we can serve. And so we looked at consecration. And we made certain uh, notes, and I'm just going to run through some of them. First of all, we know that a separation, uh, that consecration rather, is a separation from close ties unto God, from close family ties. We, we looked at the, the statement that the Lord Jesus Christ made in Luke chapter 14, I think from verse 25 down, where he, he said, except a man, uh, if, if a man does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, indeed his very life, he cannot be his disciple. And that unless he carries his cross and follows him daily, he cannot be his disciple. And of course, he mentioned that we should count the cost before we begin to embark on such. It is, it is a call, as it were, to a separation from those close ties that we normally would not want to disengage ourselves from and then uh, come on to uh, um, uh, uh, God. Because sometimes we, we, look, we look at these close ties as the basis for not serving God. For example, the, the Apostle Paul noted in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that the, the, the unmarried woman or the unmarried man has every time to devote to God. But those who are married must give, must share their time between God and their spouse. But what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying that even in that, in, in that sharing of time between God and spouse, the God must take the lion's share and our devotion must be primarily to God, secondarily to our spouse. Secondly, we noted that consecration is sacrificial living for the sake of the gospel. You are entitled to certain things, but you give them up because of the gospel's sake, for the gospel's sake, because you are seeking to serve God. You give certain things up. You give the pleasures of this world up so that you can serve God acceptably. This is part of consecration. It is also the single-mindedness in the pursuit of God and in his service. In our pursuit of God, we are single-minded. We are focused. We will not let anything distract us or detract from our pursuit of God. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he was tempted by Satan, Satan used every avenue, used food, his belly, used um, the glories of this world, used um, the, wanting to be a, a superstar to lure him away from the pursuit of God. But he was single-minded. He was focused on the pursuit of God and the service of God. Consecration precedes, is rather is preceded by sanctification. There must be, first of all, a change of mind. That, that attitude, that mind that, that has gone through the change from the worldly mind to the spiritual mind, ready to understand and appreciate the will of God. And it precedes divine service. We cannot fully accept God acceptably until we have gone through the process of consecration. 
it is process of separation separation from the world separation from close ties separation from things that we want to draw us away that want to lure us away from the service of god consecration is a personal decision that we must make to go beyond just being sanctified we are not just being sanctified for the sake of being sanctified yes we are made holy but in the state of our holiness we are now able to serve god and so we take that personal decision to go one step further and say no we want to go beyond just being sanctified by the holy spirit now we want to do more let me give a little bit of uh, an illustration here it's like uh when we were growing up our parents took us to school our parents paid our school fees up to um first degree level in some instances uh, university in some cases even second degree level but having gone through that you realize that look i need to do more if i'm going to be useful in society i probably need a master's degree or a or, or a phd now at that point in time your parents are no longer paying for that you now have to do the payment you have to do all of that in order to get there consecration is that level of that payment where you make you make the sacrifice in sanctification the holy spirit is involved in it fully involved in it all he requires is your cooperation but in sanctification it is a decision you make a personal decision that you make to say i want to really serve god i want to really seek god it is a level of maturation in christ that the believer gets to where he knows that look i am dedicating and devoting my life to the service of god sometimes some people look at it as full time ministry but it's more than that even if you are not in full time ministry and you are in a vocation or the other in that vocation as we shall see in the course of our illustrations which we shall look at later even in the course of that vocation you can consecrate yourself to the service of god in the course of that devotion in, in the course of that vocation which basically is about ministering to god we'll explain that as we go further consecration is the preparation a man must go through to be able to serve god uh, 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 above and beyond the call of duty illustration here is when david sat uh, i think in the cave of adullam and he he, he wondered aloud that oh how i wish I, I could have the water from the well of bethlehem to drink and three of his men who were around him heard what he said they dropped they, they 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 left david without telling him anything they broke through the philistine camp who had surrounded uh, bethlehem at the time broke broke through their camp went to the well fetched the water came back broke through the 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 the, the philistine barrier again and brought the water to david and david said wow this man this water is the blood of this man consecration is what we are willing to to go through for the sake of our service to god we are prepared to give everything to serve god we are not we are not swayed by excuses and reasons that we want to give in order to serve god finally we noted that consecration is our total commitment dedication and devotion to god and his work the underlying words there are total commitment dedication and devotion to god it is something that you are consumed by it is something that consumes you we and god are now consumed together in the pursuit of god and of his work in our broadcast tonight today we want to look at illustrations of consecration from scripture 
illustrations of consecration from scripture. And we begin with the book of Esther. Esther chapter 2. Esther chapter 2. And I'll be reading from verse 12 to verse 17. Esther chapter 2 from verse 12 through to verse 17. There, uh, the, the, the king, King Ahasuerus at the time, had uh, deposed the queen and now wanted a queen. And so a, a, what, what we call a beauty contest was arranged. Now we're not talking about beauty contest here, but we're trying to use this as an illustration because I, I discovered that these days, once somebody is talking, uh, speaking, teaching scripture, and then you bring some of these worldly things in by way of illustration, people latch onto that. And want to run with it. No. We are just using an illustration to explain a, 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 a spiritual truth here. So Esther chapter 2 from 12 to 17. And the girls have now been gathered for uh, presentation to the king. But before they were presented to the king. There was something here. In verse 12 it says. Each young woman's turn came to go in to King Ahasuerus. After she had completed 12 months preparation according to the regulation for the women. For those were the days of their preparation apportioned, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. Those prepared, each young woman went to the king and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace. In the evening, she went. And in the morning, she returned to the second house of the women on the custody to the custody of Shehagaz, the king's eunuch, who kept the concubines. She would not go in to the king again unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. Now, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go in to the king, she requested nothing but what Hegai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So she was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace, and in the tenth month, which in, in, uh, to royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the other women. And she obtained grace and favor in his sight, more than all the virgins. So she set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. In this uh, verse of scripture, these verses of scripture, we find some very, very interesting things here. First and foremost, we're looking at ladies that were brought before the king. They were to be presented to the king for the king to decide on who he would use, who, which, of the, which one of them he would choose to be his queen. The Bible tells us that the Christian is the bride of Christ. Now, one of the crucial things that we need to understand about these girls is that first and foremost, they were pure. They were virgins. They were pure. And yet, they had to go through a purification. I'm, I'm going back to what we had started discussing. They were pure, they were virgins. In other words, if we're going to look at it in, 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 in Christian terms, they were born again. You will recall that in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 to 14, Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 to 14, the parable of the ten virgins, 
There were, there, were, there were ten virgins. But the Bible says that five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. The wise virgins took extra oil for their lamp. The foolish ones did not take extra oil for their lamp. So the, the wise ones were prepared. The foolish ones were not prepared. It is not enough to be a virgin. It is not enough to be born again. You must be sanctified. And so the issue of sanctification comes in here. The Bible tells us that they went through a 12-month period of purification. 12 months of purification. The first six months was with oil of myrrh. The second uh, six months was, was perfuming. All manner of perfumes were put all over them so that the, 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 the smell... The, 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 the smell, that's it, the odor of the world, as it were, is removed and the fragrance of the Spirit is what is upon them. The Holy Spirit is our sanctifier. And in sanctifying us, he, he removes the world from us and brings in the perfume, the odor, the fragrance of the Spirit of God into our lives. It takes time. It's not something that is just done within a matter of days or weeks. I hear now that people go through Bible college in a matter of weeks, in a matter of months, and they say they are done. That's not it. The preparation we are talking of here is not a, is not a Bible college or a theological seminary. We are talking of this, the school of the Holy Spirit. It is not in the walls of a classroom. It is something that happens in the privacy of the believer and the Lord. Where the preparation is taking is 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 is, is, is what the Holy Spirit purges us, He purifies us, He prepares us, He perfumes us. That perfuming is, is is what we can call the consecration, getting us ready for service. And then after they had been perfumed, they were now ready to be presented to the king for service. And to go for that presentation, they needed to, they would take whatever it was that they desired that they would need to be able to serve. And so each one of the girls requested for something and they went. But the Bible tells us that when it was the turn of Esther, she didn't take anything. She just listened to what Haggai, the, the head of the eunuchs, said to her. And whatever it was that he said she should take, that's what she took. That is the role of the Holy Spirit in our consecration. The Holy Spirit will tell us what we need for the work, for the service ahead. And ours is to listen and take. Some people will say, no, what I want is the power to heal the sick. What I want is the power to work miracles. But what might delight the Lord for you would be the grace to teach the word of God. The grace to serve in a ministry area that is not even seen or known by anyone. Yet, we insist on the one that will bring fame, which would suggest that the work of sanctification had not really fully taken place. Because if it had, we would know that what we're supposed to do is to yield fully to the Spirit of God and allow Him to give us whatever uh, we need to be able to serve God. At the point of serving God, we are not the ones making that choice. It is actually the Holy Spirit that is making the choice for us. He equips us. He provides what we need to do the work as he did in the case of um, uh, Esther, and the, uh, as Haggai did in the case of Esther and as Esther yielded to Haggai. The other ladies who went in taking what they wanted, 
did not last with the king. They went to the, to the harem. But Esther stayed in the palace. If we are going to remain with the Lord, if we are going to stay close to him where he is, we will yield to the Spirit of God. Remember what the Lord Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He said he's not going to say anything of his own. He's going to say what he and the Father have told the Holy Spirit to tell us. So whatever the Holy Spirit is asking us to do is what the Godhead has decided for us. We would do better, we would do well rather, to, 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 to listen to the Holy Spirit and follow his leading and his direction. It is not about fame. It is not about what I want to do. It is about what the Lord wants us to do. I, I, I remember what Paul said when the, Holy, when the Lord came to meet him on the road to, to Damascus. When, 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 he, when he got up from the ground, he, the first thing that came out of him, I said, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? At that point of consecration, you, the, the uppermost thing is, Lord, what would you have me to do? What is it that you want me to do? Now, a second illustration we are going to go to now is from the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1. Um, let me just read from verse um, 3. Daniel chapter 1 verse 3. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, not again, no blemish. So we're talking of pure people here, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time, they might be they might serve before the king now from among those of the sons of judah were daniel hananiah mishael and azariah to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names he gave daniel the name belteshazzar to hananiah shadrach to mishael meshach and to azariah abednego but daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, not nor with wine, which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Here, again, we see young men being gathered together to go through a training that will get them to the place where they can serve in the palace. And here we find Daniel, of course, with his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had consecrated themselves unto God. They were going to serve a worldly king, but they had consecrated themselves unto God. They had decided that they would not be defiled. There would be nothing that would defile them. Not the king's meat, not the wine, not the trappings of the palace, not none of those things. They had dedicated themselves. They had separated themselves unto God, even though they were serving a king. We are speaking here of people who are working in the secular but have dedicated themselves to God that they will not be defiled by bribe taking. They will not be defiled by the way and manner by which people get promoted. They will devote themselves to God. They will devote themselves to prayer. They will devote themselves to seeking the face of God 
and the will of God on any matter. This was the case of Daniel, Shadrach, and Abednego. And we know the rest of the story. Because what happened was that they said, you know what? The, 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 the eunuch said, look, my head could go off if, I, if you don't eat this and, and you start looking lean. So he said, okay, why don't we work out something? Let the others eat whatever the king has given. Give us 10 days. We will just eat lentils and pulse. We'll just eat lentils, vegetables, lentils, beans, and drink water. And then let's see the difference. And after 10 days, they were shocked. They looked fairer and better than those who were gouging themselves on the king's delicacies. And if you go to the end of, of, of Daniel, the Bible says that when they were when they were brought after the, 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 their their uh, period with the king, and when they were brought onto the the king to be tested, Daniel and his friends were ten times better than all the others who had participated in the dainties. Now, this is the point we're trying to make. Today, we come we, when we look at churches, when we look at people in ministry, we see so many people who are consuming the dainties of this world, the pleasures of this world. The things, and nobody's going to harm you. You can buy your cars. You can um, live big. You can live in a mansion. You can do whatever you want to do. But if those things are defiling, you are not going to be able to stand to serve before the king. So the consecration is illustrated by that desire not to be defiled by the things of this world, not to be defiled by the pleasures of this world, not to be defiled by the things that attract men to the world away from God. Daniel and his friends avoided the the king's dainties. They made the sacrifice of giving up on the pleasures. It paid eventually because by the time you get to, I think, um, chapter 3 or so, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow to an idol that Nebuchadnezzar had made, these were now high officials, and they were told to bow. They refused. They said, no, we're not going to bow to an idol. We bow to only one, and that's God Almighty. And Nebuchadnezzar was wrought with them and said he was going to throw them into fire. And they said, well, they, they, uh, they, uh, they, uh, oh, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you on this matter. The God whom we serve, he will deliver us. But for, your, for, for whatever reason, if he doesn't deliver us, we want you to know that we're not going to bow to any idol. People come up with reasons why they, why they are fallen. I've, I've heard of women who say, well, you know, they denied me. They said, if I don't sleep with my boss, I will not be promoted. How can that be an excuse? How can that be an excuse? Number one, you're not sanctified. Number two, you just defiled yourself. You made a round mess of yourself. Because of what? Position? The Bible says promotion does not come from anywhere except from God. If a man promotes you, he will demote you. But if God promotes you, you will stay there. And so we must be careful when we start thinking of acquisitions, the dainties of this world. These were the things that the Lord Jesus Christ gave up so that he might serve his father acceptably. It's the same call that has been made to us today in, in consecration. We are ready to give up many of these things so that we can serve the Lord acceptably in whatever place we are and we know that even Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 when the time came for him to be promoted above the others and there was a gang up against him on the matter of prayer because they said there's no other way we are going to get this Daniel unless in the matter of the service of his God and so they, 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 they plotted and of course played on the ego of the king and said let no one pray to any God 
except to you. When Daniel heard that decree had been signed, he went ahead and prayed to God, opened the curtains so everybody can see him, and he prayed. He was arrested. Then the king realized that, whoa, so this was a trap for Daniel. But the king was coming. He said, well, the God that you are serving, he will deliver you. They threw Daniel into the lion's den. He was not eaten by the lions. There is a defense that God puts around his own who have decided to devote themselves unto God. Not one, not one can drop to the ground except at the say-so of God. So the, reason, the excuses that many people give in, 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 in breaking free or, or cutting off their consecration unto God is not tenable. We are called to be consecrated unto God, to serve God and to hold on to God in a manner that is uh, 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 that, that speaks of one who is fully devoted and dedicated unto the service of Almighty God. The next uh, illustration we are going to look at is from the book of Ruth. And I'm going to read Ruth chapter 1, uh, verse 15 to 18. Ruth was a Moabite or Moabites. And um, she was of the tribe that God had, uh, had said to the children of Israel not to associate with. But for some, for some reason, one, one of the uh, Israelites had left Israel and gone to settle in Moab. And the, his children had married wives. Now, one of his sons had married Ruth. And in the course of their living there, the man died. And his two sons also died, leaving two widows and their mother. And... When the mother saw, the mother Naomi, when she saw um, what had happened, she decided to return to Israel. And the, the two widows decided to follow her. On the way, she said to them, go back. Following me to Israel, because of the custom where if, if, if you died without a child, um, the, the brother, the surviving brother would then marry. But here the woman said, look, I'm too old to have, it, to have children. <laughs> what children will I give you that, will, that you'll marry? You are better off with your own people. Get married here. Live a new life. Forget about the past. The, 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 the other lady uh, who was married to the, to the brother of Naomi's, uh, of uh, Ruth's uh, husband, turned and left. But Ruth stayed on. And Naomi turned to Ruth and said, to her, and that's where we're going to read from now, from verse uh, 15 of Ruth chapter 1. And she, that's Naomi, said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from falling after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Naomi had tried to convince Ruth to return. Ruth said, no, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will, if you stay in the corner of a room, I will stay with you in that corner of the room. Wherever you die, I will die. Your God will be my God. She completely cut off everything from her close ties. This is an illustration of a life of consecration unto God. 
She left everything behind. She left her home. She left her country. She left everything and followed Naomi to a nation that she never knew anything about. To a people whose tongue she couldn't even understand. She was going to learn new things afresh. What consecration. That wherever you go, I will go. That is what we say to the Almighty. That's what we say to the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever you say we go, we will go. Wherever you ask us to stay, we will stay. Wherever you ask us to die, we will die. However you ask us to die, we will die. Brothers and sisters, if we are not ready to say that, we are not ready for a life of consecration. These prayer against death, prayer against this, prayer against that, sometimes these things are just the will of God. The Bible makes it clear that it is the will of God for us to suffer. In, um, I think it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And um, in verse north. First Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And I'm reading... Just verse 19. You can read from the beginning, but verse 19 is the last verse. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. It can be the will of God for us to suffer. It was the will of God for Peter to die the death that he died. Because the Bible tells us in John chapter 21 that the Lord Jesus told him that now you are young, now you are strong. You go wherever you want to go, but a time is going to come when others will tie a cloth around you and lead you to where you ordinarily would not want to go. And the Bible says, by this he was signifying to Peter the manner by which he will glorify God, the manner of his death. It can be the will of God. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, Paul wrote, he said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To die is gain, it's not loss. We may feel the loss of the person that has died. But the person who dies in Christ has great gain in, 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 in the kingdom of God. So for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. So I don't pray against death. Some people talk of, oh, no, he's not praying against death. He's praying against untimely death. You cannot have an untimely death in the service of God. The Lord Jesus Christ died at the age of 33. What you and I would call an untimely death. But it was his time. Each one of us has a time frame in the service of God. And God knows when it is time for each one to come to him. The other day we were doing a study on um, Hezekiah's prayer. I know many people love the prayer of Hezekiah. When God sent Isaiah to tell Hezekiah that, look, start gathering, your, gathering your, yourself together, set your house in order, make your wills, because you are, you are going to die. You are going to die as a result of this sickness. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and wept bitterly before the Lord. And before Isaiah could even cross the courtyard, God told Isaiah to go back and tell him, to go back and tell Hezekiah that he has extended his years by 15 years. Everybody was excited. Hezekiah was excited. So many things had happened because it was a, a terminal illness as it were and things were turned around. But the point is this. The first statement that God made was the will of God for Hezekiah. If you study the, the life of Hezekiah, Hezekiah peaked at, that, at the point of that sickness. After that, he went downwards. Everything he did was contrary to God after that time. It was in the, in the extended 15 years that he gave birth to Manasseh, who was one king that 
destroyed, Israel, destroyed Judah virtually completely until he was humbled by God. In fact, Manasseh was the one that prompted God to say, definitely, 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 this, this nation must go into, in, 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 into exile. But it was in that 15 years that Hezekiah produced Manasseh because Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king after the death of Hezekiah. We should be very careful when we pray again because some of the prayers that we are praying and we say, oh, God turned this around is actually a prayer against the will of God. And God allowed that portion to be in the Bible so that we can see that when we are praying against the will of God, there are going to be consequences. At the end of the day, God told Hezekiah through Isaiah. He said, you know, you opened your doors to the Babylonians to see so many things. You see all the things they've seen. They are coming to carry it away. They are going to take away your sons. They are going to make them eunuchs. And that, that's the, the result of the likes of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are going to make them eunuchs. They are going to serve the king of Babylon. Hezekiah said, well, it is well and good. It is God who has said it. Because, well, you know, but what was happening to Hezekiah, the Bible says that what actually happened to Hezekiah was that it, because it was not going to be in his own time. Hezekiah suddenly began to manifest all the selfish tendencies that were in him. Why? His time was at the time when God said he should come. But he didn't want to die. Brethren, when you are consecrated unto God, death is an appointment you are ready to keep. Whenever it comes. Whether you are young or you are old. It's, a, it's an appointment you are ready to keep. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. In Galatians chapter 20, verse 20. Galatians chapter 20, verse 20. Paul wrote again, he said, I am crucified with Christ. I have been killed with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. This is the statement of every believer. It's supposed to be the statement of every believer. That the life I am living, he says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God. I live by putting all my trust, my hope, everything is in Christ. I am living a life according to the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am living a life that is pleasing to him. I have been crucified with him. I have died to this world. I have died to the things of this world. I am open to him. Whatever it is that he says, I am ready to do. Where he says I should go, I will go. What he asks me to do, I will do. It may not be, pleasure, may not, may not be pleasurable to me. It may not be pleasant to me, but I will do it. You know, when we say the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord, we have lost a lot of things in our generation. A Lord is never questioned. A Lord's statement is never queried. Whatever the Lord says, you do. So we cannot say that Jesus Christ is Lord and then we do things that are contrary to him. I see many, many posters and billboards and adverts uh, uh, describing crusades and other things. At the end of it, they say, Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ is Lord. But you ask the question, who told them to do the, the, the crusade? It wasn't him. Who told them to place the advert? It wasn't him. Yet, they put Jesus Christ as Lord. Have you been crucified with Christ? Are you devoted to him? Are you dedicated to him? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, again, Paul wrote, he said, I will gladly spend and be spent for you, for your sakes. I am ready to spend money, time, energy, effort, everything for you. And I'm ready to be spent for you. He says, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. One would have expected that if these people don't love him, why are you wasting your time? But he said, no, I am devoted to God. It is God 
that I am devoted to. In my devotion to God, I have given up everything. They may hate me, but I don't hate them. I love them. And I'm going to give up everything to continue to serve God and serve them on account of God. And there's, there's, a, there's a reason why I use that statement to serve uh, them on account of God. Because many of us have considered ministry to be people-oriented. But ministry is not people-oriented. Ministry is God-oriented. Our ministry is unto God. It is God who now brings us to serve the people. But our, 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 the main person that we serve is God. I give you an illustration of what I'm trying to discuss here. When you go to a hotel or a restaurant to eat, and there are people who are serving you, the people are serving you, but the employer is the owner of the restaurant. So they are serving you because the employer, the owner of the restaurant, employed them to serve. So even though they are serving you, their primary service is to the employer. It is the same thing with the, with the, with, with, with the, with the child of God. Your primary employer is God. It's not your general overseer. It's not your pastor. It's not even the people who make up the congregation because there are congressional churches where the congregation employ a pastor. Those are not your employers. God is your employer. It is what God asks you to do that you will do. And it is what God has asked you to do that you will give account of. That's what he's going to demand of you. He's not going to demand of you what your general overseer told you to do or what your pastor told you to do if it was in conflict with what God told you to do. He's going to ask you of what God told you to do. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 2. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 2. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. These people had gathered. They were ministering unto the Lord. They had gone into the presence of God and sat down and were ministering unto the Lord. By prayer, by singing, Bible study. They were just there in the presence of God, ministering to the Lord. And in the course of that ministry, the Lord announced to them, by the Spirit of God, separate unto me, consecrate unto me, dedicate unto me, devote unto me, Barnabas and Saul. I am taking them from among you for a service, a work whereunto I have called them. Consecration always precedes a divine call to serve. And if God were to call you to serve, he will still pass you through a period of consecration. There's very little you can do about that because you will not be able to serve God acceptably unless you are consecrated unto the Lord. And that was what happened here. Said, separate them unto me. So they ministered to the Lord, and the Lord said, separate them unto me. In Mark chapter 13, verse 13 to 15. Mark chapter 13, verse 13. Sorry, Mark chapter 4. I'm sorry. Mark chapter 4, verse 13 to 15. I'm sorry. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, 13 to 15. And it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and he went up on the mountain. And called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve. That they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. And to have power to heal sicknesses. And to cast out demons. 
These three verses show us some very important things about the issue of consecration and ministry. He called some people to himself. Those people came. Now from among those people, he now chose 12. And the first thing he said to these 12 is that they will be with him. They will be with him before he can then send them to go and preach and then empower them to uh, 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 heal sicknesses and cast out demons. The primary thing that God requires of us is that we know him, that we be with him, that we are in his presence. It is from his presence that he will now send us out to go and preach. Then he will empower us to go and heal and to go and cast out demons. But what do we find today? We find people, they are barely, they barely know God. The first thing they want to do is to cast out demons. And they have treacherous, I better, I, I use that word with every sense of, of meaning. We have treacherous pastors who think that they can just call men out and say, you now go and do this. And then they start throwing handkerchiefs or, or what they call mantles of different colors at these people and say to them, you can use it to do anything. On, on dedicated people, on consecrated people, on sanctified people. And the man himself who is doing that, is he sanctified? The man himself has not spent time with God. The first thing he wants to do is to cast out demons, is to heal sicknesses. Because he, he has at the back of his mind that if healing is taking place in a place, in a, in a particular location or in his church, if demons are being delivered in his church, then people will come. The mistake we are making is that God is not averse to people, yes, but he is not pleased with just a crowd. God is interested in disciples, people who have been discipled, not people who are just thronging into a building. His primary focus is that people will come to know him. Discipleship is about knowing God. You cannot follow someone that you don't know. The, 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 the Samaritan woman at the well, was asking the Lord Jesus Christ concerning the worship of God. And the Lord said, you guys are worshiping what you don't know. We know him because salvation is of the Jews. Salvation is of the believer. And the believer ought to know God. Your worship is vain if you don't know God. Your ministry is vain if you don't know God. Consecration brings you into that close relationship with God. That, that, that relationship where you are working with him, where it is what he says that matters, not what I want to do, that we might be with him. I think it's in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Yes, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, where, where God said, look, the man who is boasting, let, let, let me read it. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and verse 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Don't stop glorying in private jets. Stop glorying in car. Stop glorying in house. Stop glorying in congregational size. Stop glorying in church building that you have built. Glory in this, that you know God. That you understand Him. That He's a loving, He's a God who, 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 who is loving. Who exercises loving kindness. That He will by no means 
forgive sin. He told Moses that. Many of us don't understand this. When you are consecrated, you cannot do anything apart from God. In Exodus chapter, I think 33 or, or there, 33 or 34 or so, God said to Moses, after the children of Israel had sinned, in chapter 10, between 32 and 34, after the children of Israel had sinned, God said to Moses, you know these people, they are stiff-necked. I am going to take them to the promised land, no, no problems. In fact, I'm going to send an angel with them. The angel, the word angel that was put in capital A. So we are speaking of possibly the Lord Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, was to go with them. But Moses said, no. If you will not go with us, we are not going. Today, many people will jump at the gift of going, but they don't mind the presence of God not going with them. But Moses said, no. If your presence does not go with us, we are not going. There are too many of us who lay claim to serving God, who are interested in the gifts and not in the presence of God. When you are consecrated unto God, the focus is not the gift. The focus is the presence of God. You are fully aware that God is with you. Not with you to, so that you can boast that, oh, God is with me. No, but you are aware that whatever it is you are doing, God sees, God knows. When a man is consecrated, if, if, rather, when a man is not consecrated, that is when you can see him go and do some crazy thing and say, it's the devil that made me do it. I don't want to mention many of those things that people are doing, despicable things that people who call themselves pastors are engaging in. And just because they are preaching and crowds are there and people are listening and they have the, the, the gift of oratory and eloquence, they think that God has forgotten. Let them remember Reuben. Reuben went and slept with his father's wife. Jacob heard it and kept quiet. Reuben probably thought that Jacob did not know until on his deathbed, when Jacob was going to now begin to declare his will, he put Reuben aside and made Joseph the head. The 11th child was made the head. The first child was nowhere to be found. He said, you are my strength, oh, the excellence of my strength. You are the beginning of my strength. But because of what you did in going to defile my bed, you are, on, as, you are going to be as unstable as the water. Nobody should come near you. That was how Reuben was sent out of the will of Jacob. It would be sad for all the things that people are engaging in if they would not repent and return to God. And I'm making a plea today. I'm making a passionate plea. If you have turned aside from following God, I plead with you. Return to the Lord. It's never too late. It is only when you breathe your last that it becomes late. Because the Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die. After that comes judgment. But as long as you are breathing here, you have the opportunity to repent and to return to God. I close with John chapter 2, verse 20. John chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. Now when he, that is Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. The Lord Jesus was in Jerusalem at the feast and was walking signs and wonders, and many people believed on him because of the signs and the wonders, but he made no commitment to them. I'm saying this because there are many who think that church is about signs and wonders, miracle signs and wonders, miracle signs and wonders. Miracle. That's all we hear now. But God is looking for people who know him, people who are going to be committed to him, Committed to his cause. 
People who are going to be dedicated and devoted to him, to his word and to his work. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ did not commit himself to any one of them. There are many people today who are saying, I'm a child of God and God is saying, I don't know you. The Bible says that let any man who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. How can you be engaging in iniquity and then you say you are a child of God? You cannot be a child of God and be engaging in iniquity. When you are committed to God, God is committed to you. God cannot be committed to somebody who is not committed to him. Moses was so committed to God that when his sister, his elder, his elder sister and elder brother spoke against him, God came and defended Moses. When Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses, God came and defended himself. He said, you, you, you are to, we are speaking about Moses, the man that speaks to me face to face, the one who has seen the presence of God, not the similitude, not a, not a silhouette, but the very presence of God. God speaks to him mouth to mouth. You are not afraid of that fellow. Brethren, God is calling us to a higher level of consecration in him, a level of devotion that puts this, the things of this world to shame, that puts the world aside, and that brings God to the fore, to the front burner, where God is front, center, and back, where God is everything. And I'm going to close with this hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. I'm just going to read the hymn and talk about it briefly. The, the hymn writer, I'm told, was, a, was a, a, a lady who went into a house of about 10 people. Some of them were Christians, some of them were not even Christians at all. And the few who were Christians were not even, were, they, were not, they had no change in their lives. And this woman went in there and prayed that God would make this house to become a house of Christians, of believing Christians, fervent Christians. Before she left that place, all 10 had accepted the Lord, had become fervent. And as a result of that, she was humbled and began to, to, to she said, as she was praying and, and, you know, rejoicing in the Lord about what had happened, the Spirit of the Lord began to give the words of this hymn. It says, take my life and let it be consecrated, devoted, Lord, to thee. Separated unto you, Lord. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Every moment every minute, every hour, every day, let it be unto God. The second verse says, take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Not move for selfish reasons, but at the impulse of the love of God. Hands that would seek to help. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. The Bible says, how, how beautiful are the feet of them that, 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 that that bring good news. Take my feet. Take hold of my feet. Instead of my feet going all over the place to gossip. Take it Lord. Take possession of my feet. And move me wherever you want me to be. To move to. This is a hymn of consecration. He's consecrating his life. Consecrating his, his, his days. Every moment. Consecrating his hands. Consecrating his feet. He says take my voice. And let me sing. Always only for my king. These, music, these fellows who say they are gospel artists and are singing songs that will, uh, that will enchant the world. This is what the Lord is saying. Sing to the king. Some people go to church and say, the, 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 the singing did not move me. I didn't feel the presence of God. What do you mean by that? You're not singing for yourself. You're not singing to move yourself. We sing unto God. We, in, in our singing, it is unto God. It's not unto men. It's not to make men excited. 
All these all these fellows who say that they are, they are gospel artists and are collecting awards from the world, they are not consecrated. They are not singing unto God. That's the truth of the matter. They may be singing and putting Jesus in here and there, but it's not unto God. Take my voice and let me sing. Always only for my king. Always and only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Not messages from Harvard. Not messages from one pastor somewhere. Not messages from one guru somewhere. But messages given by the spirit of the living God. Stanza 4 says, take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my money. Today there's a debate going on on whether we should tithe or not tithe. Forget about that issue, my brother and my sister. Everything that you have belongs to God. If he permits you to spend it, fine. If on the other hand, he, he desires it, are you going to stop him from, 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 from taking Are you going to prevent the Lord from taking it? Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite will I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Your intellect compared to, 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 to God's power is nothing. And yet, he says, surrender it to me. A consecrated life is a surrendered life. It's one that has surrendered all. We always sing that song when sinners are coming to the altar. I surrender all. I surrender all. But how many of us have truly surrendered to the Lord? How many of us will the Lord say, go and do this? And will say, yes, Lord. And not quarrel. And not argue. And not resist. Stanza 5 says, take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. You see, when you are born again, your will is still with you. Consecration says, Lord, take this will. I don't want it anymore. Replace it with your will. Let your will be my will. That is consecration. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. My heart, that is my inner man. Not this pumping thing that this is pumping blood. No, 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 no. The inner man, the being, my being, my spirit man. That's your throne. Come and be enthroned there. Come and sit there. Come and be in charge. Sit at the steering wheel of my life and direct my course. But if my will is there, God cannot direct the course of my life. So I must submit my will to him. I must surrender my will to him and let his will become my will. Whatever he says I should do, that's what I will do. Wherever he says I should go, that's where I will go. Wherever he says, however he says I'm going to die, that's how I'm going to die. I'm submitted to him. I'm surrendered to him. Instance of 6, he says, take my love. My Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Take me as well. I find it a very strange occurrence. I've noticed in many Christian gatherings that some people sit on the front row. They call them the, the fathers of the, of the community, the, the, the chiefs and the obas. I can understand if they are not Christians. But many of them claim to have been born again. And then they put on their crowns and sit down there and say they are listening to the word. And I'm wondering what word they are listening to. Have they not read Revelation chapter 4? Where the 24 elders removed the crowns on their head and cast it before the Lord. But they sit down there still and put the cap on their heads. Sometimes I'm amazed at some of the things that we do unto our God. And we can say that we are serving him. It's really astounding. Honestly speaking, it's astounding. My prayer is that as we go over this hymn and go over what we have discussed today, that we will make a determination 
as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made, not to defile themselves, that every consecration that has been defiled, we will nullify and say, Lord, I want to rededicate myself to you. I want to redevote myself to you. I want to come afresh and be dedicated such that I'm consumed by what consumes you, so that my will becomes, so that your will becomes my will, for I have no will of my own. Take over. I surrender all to you. I submit to you totally and completely. Have your way in my life. Do your will in my life. And at the end of the day, my prayer is that we will see the commitment of God upon us, taking care of our needs, not our wants, but our needs, meeting us at the very point of need. And when it is time for us to return to him, making sure that we are going to be received in his kingdom in eternity. And until we meet again, my prayer is that the Almighty God will help us to walk with him, to hold on firmly to him, to surrender everything that is still a problem for us. Lord, help us to drop these things off. Whatever needs to be killed in us so that those things are released, Father, do it. And I pray, Almighty and everlasting God, that when next we meet, we would have dropped quite a number of things and be ready to begin to focus on you, focus on your word, and focus on your work. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and goodbye.